Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Hey everyone, I'm Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide resources for veterans and their family members who may be struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Also, be sure to check out our Operation Healing Heroes TV show on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Today, I'm excited to be featuring Dr. Joseph Dituri, a United States Navy veteran who plans to break a world record in just a few short months. Join me as we share his incredible story of hope and resilience. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome, uh, Dr. Joe Dettori. Uh, I want to say thank you for joining the podcast. It's such an honor to have you here telling your story. Um, I'm not going to lie, Dr. Joe. When I was doing some research on uh, this podcast, uh, it was absolutely amazing some of the things that you've accomplished. Um, it would take me 20 minutes to, to just go over all the different things that you've accomplished and then also all the uh, organizations that you're affiliated with and involved with. Um, so I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to talk about all those, but I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Trust me, I'm uh, I'm the one that's honored here, so uh, appreciate it. Awesome. Well, let me just run down a few of the highlights. And again, when I say a few, this is a very short few of the highlights of, of your life. But um, Dr. Joseph Dituri, also known as Dr. Deep Sea, as a retired U.S. Naval officer and a Ph.D. who enlisted in the Navy in 1985, uh, after retirement from almost 28 years of active service, Dr. Joe earned his Ph.D. in biomedical engineering with research areas of interest that included life support equipment design, high carbon dioxide environments, as well as hyperbaric and hypobaric medicine. Uh, Dr. Dituri is the author of a book called Secrets in Depth, and Dr. Joe is embark about to embark on a Project Neptune 100, uh, where he's going to live uh, in the Jules Undersea Lodge habitat, um, never ascending to the surface for hopefully a period of 100 days, uh, which at that point, it would be a, a world record if you're able to make it because the current world record is 73 days. And uh, of course, we'll be hoping and praying that you make it. Uh, if that wasn't enough, Dr. Joe also helps veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress. And so... Without that, without any further ado, and I know there's tons more that I could actually say about you, Doctor. Um, again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to to talk to us today. So, if you don't mind, I would like to just kind of start with uh, tell us about life growing up. Uh, what was where did Doctor Joe grow up? What was your family <laughs> background like? And uh, if you don't mind, share that. Absolutely. So I'm a nice Italian boy from New York. Uh, I, I lived in Italy for the first couple of years of my life. My parents uh, worked over there. My father worked for an Italian company. Uh, then we flew back over when I was about five or six, 
started first grade over here, uh, did uh, 12 years on Long Island, New York, and then with no real prospect of going to college because I just, I, I wasn't a college sort of a kid, right? I, I was a get in trouble, silly, you know, act out in high school sort of a kid. And uh, I said, you know, hey, you got to join, you got to join the Navy because you got to get out of New York. So I did that. I joined the Navy in 1985, never looked back, and uh, old boy, was it been a fun ride. So <laughs> 27 years, eight months, and 19 days later, I retired from the Navy. But who's counting? Like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> right. So life growing up, did you have any siblings, uh, brothers and sisters? Yeah. Good, good point. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have uh, two older brothers who beat me mercilessly, and now I'm now I'm six one, two hundred twenty pounds. So that doesn't happen anymore. They're much smaller than I am. But uh, yeah, so my mom and dad uh, and uh, uh, two brothers lived on Long Island, New York, in a little town called Lindenhurst. And you know, I was just a typical high school kid getting in trouble. You know, creating hate and discontent, and you know, yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> Did you come from a military background? Did you have, um, you know, ancestry or grand grandparents or whatever uh, that were in the military or, or your dad or anything like that? So interesting. My dad, Angelo, is so um, th th there's so little hubris in him that he I didn't even know that he was in the military until I just I was putting something away in one of his drawers and I opened up the drawer and his medals slid out from the time that he was in the army. So my dad was in the army for a little bit, uh, you know, the between Korea and Vietnam era. Um, and then, uh, you know, but that, that was, uh, that was it. My uncles had served in the Marine Corps and the army, uh, you know, one, uh, one during, uh, during D-Day and the other on the other coast in, uh, you know, in the Pacific, uh, during world war two. So they were much older than he was. So, so I do come from military background, uh, a little bit. Uh, but, but you know, that was, uh, that was back in the greatest generation when those people served. So. Wow. So your dad served and you, how old were you when you actually found out that he had served? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was. Uh, I think I was getting ready to go into the military. I had already signed my paperwork, uh, really? so it was like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, exactly. Like I had no idea. Remember, I joined the Navy when I was seventeen. Actually, truly, I joined when I was sixteen. Uh, my parents had to sign the paper, and I graduated high school when I was seventeen, and you know, a couple of months, a little early, because we started school early coming from Italy, and uh, and yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really weird to find out that way that your dad, my dad was so understated, but, uh, yeah, for instance, I'll give you, I'll give you another one. My dad, uh, has a U.S. patent. And the only reason that I know that he had a U.S. patent is because while I was doing my patent research for my PhD research for my patent, I said, oh, I wonder how many other Dottori's there are that have a patent. I look it up and sure enough, my father's name goes up. So I pick up the phone and I call him and I'm like, dad. What the heck? And my mother's like, you know your father. He doesn't say anything about his accomplishments. And and I was like, you know what? That's a real good way to be. So Wow, that's amazing. I mean, what an amazing story. I mean, I think it's amazing enough that you're 16, 17 years old before you find out that your dad actually served in the military. Um, but then to go out and find out about patents and things like that, obviously he was a humble man and uh, and kept everything fairly quiet. He wasn't one out there trying to pat himself on the back. But th that being said, Dr. Joe, I mean, what was it about that? You know, you've done a lot of research, I know, on, on 
post-traumatic stress and all the other things that go along with military service. And what was it about that generation, the greatest generation, right, that um, that didn't talk about the war? I mean, my grandfather was on the beaches in Normandy in, in World War II on Omaha Beach, and um, he just didn't talk about it. And and uh, a lot of the, the veterans that I get to interview, the the you know, not only World War II veterans, but Korean War veterans, and even some of the Vietnam veterans, and, and maybe that one's a little more understandable because those individuals got spit on and things like that when they came home. But, you know, the greatest generation, um, those individuals just came back and basically just went to work and supported families and raised families and, and didn't talk about, you know, anything that they've experienced until much later in life. And and why do you think it is that people like your dad and, and the greatest generation just didn't talk about the war? Yeah, that's a real good point. People, uh, people in that era just did as they felt was necessary and then didn't brag about it. I feel like today, you know, everybody's got a book, everybody's bragging, everybody's got all this, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and maybe it's because there's so much sensationalism. I mean, you remember back in the day when James Bond used to be the coolest thing with all the greatest gadgets. Now, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's heroes on every corner that are very much like James Bond that have all the gadgets that have, you know, so, so the understatedness of it all, man, uh, I, I, I don't know. All I know is that, uh, that those people were truly great because they just did it because they had a reason to do it and they felt it in their heart and patriotism was a thing. And, uh, now I think it's a little more grandiose and grandstanding, but you know, I, I don't think that they don't deserve to grandstand a little bit. That's for sure. I think that those those guys needed to grandstand a little bit in the past era. The greatest generation is called the greatest generation for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were Amen. great. <laughs> Amen to that. And did you ever get a chance to talk to your dad about his time in service and learn what he had done? Yeah, you know, it was uh, it, it's very minimal, and it was like pulling teeth to get anything out of him just because. Mm-hmm. He's just that way. And he always was that way. Um, You you know, I I, I really got very little out of him from what he did. And, um, you you know, and unfortunately, at this point, my dad passed away a couple of years ago and uh, we're never going to get it. So it's it's not that it's horrible. It's just that it's one of those things that first a young man, it shapes and forms a young man. And it did in my father's case. And you could just tell, I mean. He was shaped and formed and, you know, stood with his shoulders back, stood erect, said very few words. But when my dad talked, oh, boy, everybody listened. Everybody in the family, anybody anywhere was like, huh, that guy must know what he's talking about because he doesn't say very many words. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that you're not going to follow in your father's footsteps only from the sense that I'd really like to have you share your time in service with us. So um, I, we've got a lot to cover. I know we, we don't have a whole heck of a lot of time. Uh, I want to keep this podcast as, as somewhat short as possible. But like I said, you've had so many accomplishments in your life. But I want to get into um, life in the military with you if you're okay with that. Um, I'm going to take a quick short break sure. and then we come back. Uh, we'll talk about your time in the military and uh, in the book that you've written and that type of thing. But uh, uh, yeah, Dr. Joe, if you don't mind, I'd really like for you to share all of the uh, the things that you've accomplished, if you're okay with that. Roger, can and will. Sounds good, buddy. Uh, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is VET Service Dogs. We provide the best quality service dogs trained specifically for each veteran. 
We help veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and military sexual trauma find the right service dog. Our vision is to teach each veteran and dog how to create an everlasting bond and mutual respect for each other's abilities. We all work toward a common goal of helping and healing our nation's heroes. Visit www.vetservicedogsnfp.org for more information. We're talking with Dr. Joseph Dettori and uh, Dr. Joe, before the break, we talked about life growing up and uh, some of the accomplishments that you've had, but also, you know, your family and their history and background as far as the military goes. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you, I know you've had an extensive 28-year history in the military. Would you share some of that, uh, just some snippets? I mean, 28 years is hard to cover in just a few minutes, but that being said, would you mind sharing some of the highlights? Sure. I enlisted in 1985 uh, as a um, as a machinist mate nuke. Um, went through uh, went through nuclear power school, and then uh, about halfway through, they found out I had eczema, uh, skin disease, and they said, "Hey, you can't be a nuke." And I said, "But but but I have a contract." And they said, "Okay, but you can have your choice of any school in the Navy." So through several trials and tribulations and, and another set of orders and another set of orders. I wound up working my way up through the commissioning pipeline. Uh, they thought that I was uh, good enough to get to the point where I commissioned. I was going to school at night uh, and on weekends and tried to at least complete a degree. So I got about uh, maybe a third the way through my degree, uh, my bachelor's degree. I had earned an associate's degree, but realistically, the in-class hours were only about a third through um, uh, through bachelor's. Uh, and then uh, I got accepted into the enlisted commissioning program uh, and and into the special operations pipeline. Uh, went to went to all those schools. Became a diving officer. Worked out at uh, um, submarine. I'm sorry. Worked out at the uh, mobile diving salvage unit one in Hawaii. Then on salvor salvage ships. Did salvage work. Uh, then went to the Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard, and then I decided to change designators at that point. Seeing the writing on the wall, uh, the explosive ordnance disposal community was uh, was blowing up literally, <laughs> and uh, and we said, all right, it's time to go do something uh, something not this, um, and went to engineering duty officer school, and then did some uh, tours in there. Uh, went to postgraduate school, got a master's in astronautical engineering, uh, and that was through the engineering duty officer uh, course. And then I became the, uh, the the person in charge at Deep Submergence Unit. Uh, we brought the one atmosphere suits online, and then they said, hey, you did such a good job there. Why don't you go to U.S. Special Operations Command? We're going to make your program manager. We're going to get you to do some stuff. I got there, and they were like, hey, we need you to build dry combat submersible. And I'm like, okay. So I went and did that, and they were like, yep, you made it. You're going places. Uh, we'd like to transfer you to D.C. And I'm like, well, sure, after my time is up here, right? I got three years here, and I told my daughter she could finish high school in one spot. So uh, that being said, uh, they were like, no, 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 we need you in D.C. like right now. Like you're going to leave after about a year, year and a half being here. And I'm like, yeah, but my daughter. And they were like, yeah, but she didn't come in your sea bag. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? After after like 27 years, you're going to tell me my daughter didn't come in my sea bag. And this is literally a quote. Right. And I was like, you know, needs of, needs of the Navy. And I'm like, well, no, I think I'm going to drop papers. And then it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't retire. We need you. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, ah, apparently you don't. <laughs> so uh, wow. I, I took my time after uh, after almost 28 years and uh, and decided to retire. And 
yeah, that was uh, that's my career in a nutshell. Basically, my fun meter was pegged way over in the red. I got to play with the coolest toys, meet the greatest people, and I was in charge of some of the best assets to go deeper in the ocean than anybody had in, in, the, in the past long time, at least. Wow. Well, you really need to make some accomplishments there, Dr. Joe. I mean, it's absolutely amazing yeah. all the things that you've done. And here's a, a kid who you shared with us in the previous um, segment that wasn't really, in, you know, into high school and stuff like that. And, and look at all these degrees that you've gotten and, and the things that you've accomplished. It's absolutely amazing. So, wow. Are you an engineer, I guess, by trade or no? Yeah. So I'm an engineer by, by, I'm an engineer by thought. Right. So uh, people are people are either engineers or they're not engineers. Right. They think from a a logical engineering uh, prospect. So my undergraduate degree was in computer science slash computer engineering. My uh, master's degree is in astronautical engineering. uh, And then my uh, my Ph.D. is in biomedical engineering. So, yeah, it's all kind of engineering. But uh, so I got that engineering mindset. I can do math, you know coming out the wazoo, but, uh, you know, now I'm a little more medically oriented. So it's all good stuff. Wow. Well, you've taken that since you've been out of the military and and transformed it into helping veterans with PTS. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit, but I really wanted to, um, uh, take some more time and talk about your life in the military. Um, Dr. Janelle Royster uh, was kind enough to send me uh, a book that you had written called uh, Secrets in Depth. Uh, I wanted to say thank you for the autographed copy. Uh, I have not had a chance to read it yet. However, I promise you that I will. I did pick it up and start to read the the first several pages, and I was captivated. I mean, literally, uh, some of the experiences that you've had are absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know how much I'm assuming because you wrote a book about it, you have the ability to talk about it, but, um, you know, I don't know. I, I read in, in the first uh, few pages of the book, it talks about you being dangled 25 feet above the deck of a North Korean military vessel, uh, disguised as a fishing trawler patrolling the sea of Japan. Um, gosh, right. I mean, how, holy cow, what can you tell us about <laughs> stuff like that? And that's only the first few pages. This book is a couple hundred pages long, so I can only imagine what I'm going to read, but but, um, yeah, share I, some of these. I can tell you this. <laughs> the truth of the matter is I have never personally been, Joe Dottori has never personally been swinging off the deck of a troll in North Korea or any <laughs> other place from the one atmosphere suit and that suit dropping back down in the water. Never actually happens. So, so you know, it's one of those yeah. Hollywood mysteries sort of a thing. I love it. And uh, it's about... The book is about a nice Italian boy from New York, uh, you know, who grew up, came from Italy, grew up, uh, you know, on Long Island and then joined the military and was enlisted for the first 10 years and then got commissioned and and then became in charge of uh, deep submergence unit stuff and uh, and then got pulled into some sort of spy espionage sort of stuff. which may or may not have happened, but clearly it's not Joe DeTore. It's Joe Camissa, it right? Is. <laughs> right, it's Joe Certainly Camissa. Certainly not me. Right, I love it. Names love have been it. changed to protect the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is we call it factional, right? It's it's based upon some fact, like some of the characters in there are based upon real people. Like uh, Dr. Dartos was uh, truly my uh, MD who, uh, who's a buddy of mine, Kirk Parsley. And, uh, and he sort of fashioned after that sort of a guy and just the greatest guy in the world, salt of the earth, you know, steps up and tells you the right thing when you need it. And he was a, he was a Navy SEAL first 
and then got out of being an enlisted uh, SEAL and then went to medical school, as many of them do, high achievers, right? Went to medical school and then came back in the military as my doctor. So it was great. Wow. <laughs> oh, full circle story there, huh? Yeah, it's really neat. So how many... Um... So if you want to know some of my background in life, really start reading the first couple of pages of the book. And, and, you know, once you get into the personal details, where I grew up, how I grew up, all that stuff is in the book. And it, it's a great trip down memory lane for me to write it because I, I had those experiences literally growing up on Long Island, New York with, you know, brothers that are kind of sort of loosely mentioned, but you know. Yeah. Did they serve in the military also or no? No, my brothers, uh, my brothers did not choose that route. As a matter of fact, uh, and they have no regrets and they've done great things in their life. But uh, I, I think, and this is what I told my children, I said, I think uh, 28 years in the military, I've served enough for our entire family for a little bit. <laughs> I would so agree I with that. we get a pass on the next, the next two wars, we'll just get a pass on those. There you right? go. There you go. So tell us about time in service. How many dives did you have? Do you, do you even have a record of that? Do you, keep, do you guys keep records? I know like, you know, parachute jumpers record how many jumps they had. Do divers do the same thing? Yep. Divers do. Uh, I, I think I have, uh, eight, eight fifty five um, skydives and, uh, you know, I certainly have over 5,000 dives, uh, but the 5,000 dives is civilian and military combined. I just started, you know, keeping them. And then before you know it, you're just, you're just logging the, the dive day. Right. And, and it doesn't matter if you do three dives in that day, you just log that. Yeah. I dove on Tuesday. Okay. I dove on Thursday. I dove on, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness. But yeah, well over 5,000 at this point. And it's like, holy mackerel. You know, you just, you just do it. And I was teaching diving for a little while. So, so yeah, I, I got one or two dives. So, you know. Wow. Amazing. So you had talked about being in Hawaii and actually uh, doing some, uh, I guess, what would you call it, reconnaissance or repair work, that type of thing on, on uh, military vessels. And then went on to, uh, was it, bomb squad you basically said <laughs> so i mean how does that transition go yeah it was uh it was really good i mean you know i did the natural path that they had me on which is you know basically uh you know you go to a mobile diving salvage unit you go to a ship you earn your qualification and then you kind of go on from there so you know we i did that route and uh and and it was kind of fun but uh you know, diving the Mark 16, uh, you know, seeing the writing on the wall at that point, I, we did not have an admiral in the community for special operations guys. So I was kind of like seeing, oh, the, the whole thing was led by 13 captains. And it was like, this is not good. This is like a consortium of decision makers. And this is not good. So I said, hey, uh, I want to go on to a place where they're going to you know, value me. They're going to, you know, take me into, uh, you know, take me in and give me an education and so forth. So I went into the engineering duty officer pipeline, which is the other type of diver in the military. And they're truly the engineering diver. Right. So I was like, well, this is straight up my alley, right out of my, right out of my swim lane. So it seemed like the right thing to do. And the supervisor of salvage and diving for all of the military is an engineering duty officer billet. So I was like, Oh, okay, great. That's kind of the guy that I wanted to be anyway. So went over, switched over to that community. Then they sent me to grad school and yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Amazing. Uh, do you, obviously you still continue to dive. Um, I believe you live down in Florida. Is that correct? Yeah. 
Okay, so I live in Tampa, Florida, and yes, I dive and teach pretty regularly, surprisingly. I was going to say, how often do you get to dive these days with all the things that you're doing um, you know, outside of the military? How often do you actually get to go diving? It's my solace, right? So diving is my solace. Even skydiving is my solace, right? These are the things that I do kind of sort of for fun. I, I've I kind of sort of teach, but I'm teaching at the instructor and instructor trainer levels now, right? So so it's a lot less of the day-to-day teaching and more of the uh, just mentoring and bringing instructors up to, to new and different levels. Um, but so, so how much do I dive? I don't know. I probably get about 100, 120 dives a year, give or take. So, yeah. And most so of those a lot are less than I did before, but yeah. So you're, you're doing some for work and you're also doing some for pleasure. Do you do a lot of, uh, like dives that you, and that you enjoy, like whether it's shipwrecks or, or, you know, uh, yeah. checking out the sea pleasure life. diving for me right now in Florida on the West coast is cave diving. And it's basically, you get into a freshwater cave and you start swimming all the way back or you scooter all the way back and you just chill and you look at the structure and it's fresh water. So you don't have to clean your gear. It's amazing, right? It's like wow. the, the best kind of diving in the world. Yeah, it's neat. So that, that's, that's my, cool. that's my solace right there. Very cool. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, you and I met at a take of fishing event, which is uh, one of my nonprofit organizations down in Florida. We were, um, we were out at uh, Madeira beach, Florida, taking some veterans out on a, on a boat fishing. And you happened to attend the event with uh, Dr. Royster. Um, and you told me about a story, um, you know, after you had gotten out of the military about a car accident that you had been in. And again, once again, it was pretty captivating the story that you had shared with me. And uh, so if you don't mind, uh, when we come back from a a quick break, would you mind uh, sharing that story with us and then talking about um, some of the, some of the, the trials and tribulations that you had as far as the, uh, the recovery program was concerned regarding that. But uh, again, another amazing story from Dr. Joe. So if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to take a quick Thanks, break. <laughs> yep. As soon as we get back, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Just uh, give me one minute here. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and buy Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And we're back with Dr. Joseph Dettori. Uh Dr. Joe, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, you and I got to meet uh, just over a year ago down in um, Madeira Beach, Florida, uh, when you attended one of our Take About Fishing events. And during that time, uh, you shared with me a story about uh, a car accident that you had been in that uh, I believe it almost took your life. Yeah, it uh, it was a real bad hit. I drive a 1947 Chevy. Uh, incidentally, the reason why I drive a 1947 Chevy because my deepest dive is 1,947 feet. Cool. So I went out and found a 1947 Chevy pickup truck driving down the road on West Shore Boulevard, coming back from working out. Woman ran a light and T-boned me, and I was knocked unconscious in the car. They literally had to pull the door open to rip me out. I woke up in the back of the ambulance. I get to the hospital and I am just shaken. I'm, I, I, I don't even know who I am. You know, I'm, I'm toast. Um, they, they kept me in the, uh, 
the uh, ICU for a period of two days, and then they transferred me to regular population uh, for five days or six days after that. And I had a really bad traumatic brain injury. And I'm like, oh, let me out, let me out, let me out. I know how to heal traumatic brain injuries. I've been doing hyperbaric medicine for years and years and years. You know, I teach hyperbaric medicine. Let me out. I just want to get hyperbaric medicine. And the honest truth was that wasn't enough. Hmm. So I kind of, you know, that was September 7th of 21. Uh, yeah, September 7th of 21. So by the mid October or so I was in a deep depression and I was really bad off. And then I said, all right, I need to change the way I'm doing business. Hyperbarics isn't working alone. I need to do something else. So I found Dr. Janelle. We talked about cognitive behavioral therapy. She walked me through her program. I, I found a guy who does structural energetic therapy. I found a physical therapist. I found, you know, because the body keeps the score. So anything that happens to you in your life, you carry with you and you need to be able to overcome that and get rid of that so you don't have these twinges of pain that remind you, oh, yeah, you had a traumatic brain injury when you were in that car accident. Your shoulder still hurts, but, yeah, it's, it's all about the brain injury that keeps coming back on you. So, uh, you know, as we move down the road, we're looking at uh, more and more therapies piled on top of one another. As I'm driving home, I'm looking and I'm listening to the radio and somebody said, you know, athletes like uh, to get an ice bath. And I was like, ice, huh? Let me think about that. Ice bath. If you, if you get in the cold water, what happens is your blood shunts to your core and protects the core. And I said, the volume of circulation hasn't changed, but there's more blood in your core and any place that's out of the water, i.e. your brain. So there must be more volume in your brain. So you have to increase cerebral blood flow. It's physics. It has to work. That day, I just went and got 40 pounds of ice, threw it in my bath and jumped in the bath. And I'm like, wow, this is working. So all of these theories that came from that, that are rooted in science, that make physiological sense, that increase cerebral blood flow, that, that help you get over what has happened to you, uh, we threw in this program. And by December 8th, I was up and running. And by December 28th, we had decided, the group of buddies and I had decided to, hey, we can do this and we can expand this program to people and we want to move the needle. We want to stop 22 a day. We want to get people cured from their traumatic brain injury. Joe, you cured yourself after a period of only a couple of months. You cured yourself. Well, you know, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm flying the airplane while I'm assembling it, right? So I have a traumatic brain injury and I'm trying to fix my traumatic brain injury while I'm, you know, <laughs> while I'm in the midst of a traumatic brain injury. It was insane, you know, so, so that had caused me to think out of the box. And when you think out of that box that you normally put in and you're just like, okay, here's what I got to do and here's what I think and it makes sense from a scientific standpoint, so let's go do it neurofeedback therapy. I just threw it all in at one time because that's not the way scientists do things, right? Scientists just basically give people, uh, here, take this pill or here, do this one therapy here. Oh, your arm hurts. Let's do physical therapy. Okay. Now that your arm is done hurting. Oh, your head still is a little shaken up. Let's send you to a cognitive behavioral therapist. Why don't you do that at the same time? Mm -hmm. Why isn't all that stuff in one place for the person to heal the person. So people come to my facility now and they get, they're here for seven hours straight for a period of 28 days. Why? 28 days is how long it takes your body to remember or have to make a habit. Mm -hmm. 
So after 28 days, you have the habit of not just getting up, not just drinking water, not just limiting your caffeine intake, not just sleeping for eight hours a day, all that's required in the program, giving up any kind of drugs and anything like that, uh, you know, uh, and, and working with yourself to get yourself better, not just those habits, but the habit to make brain-derived neurotropic factor, to make insulin growth factor, to make vascular endothelial growth factor, all these things which increase cerebral blood flow, which help you get over your traumatic brain injury. I mean, we're talking about seeding the lawn, watering the lawn, and sunshining the lawn so that you can grow grass in your brain. I mean, that's literally what we're talking about doing here. And we're growing new synaptic pathways. And that's it. Literally, I have the science that shows that we're able to do it. And, and we're really crushing it. Now, my N is small. In the interest of full disclosure, my number is really small. I have nine people that have been through the program, and I was the first one. <laughs> so, so there's not a lot of people. To that point, Dr. Joe, um, didn't you share with me that literally coming out, and I don't want to back up too far, but coming out of the, this car accident, your prognosis was not very good as far <laughs> as uh, re- full recovery, correct? Well, you know what? You know how we treat traumatic brain injury. Today's way that we treat traumatic brain injury, neurologists say what you need is a tincture of time. First, we diagnose you with a traumatic brain injury, and then what you need is a tincture of time, and you will get better. The brain will heal itself. I'm like, okay, that's great. Uh, But, you know, so, uh, and I was in a bad way. When I say in a bad way, uh, I I feel like I I was a high-level operator, and I had, you know, I had residual self-image, so I could look back on myself and go, I used to could be able to remember things. I used to could, you know, I lost two sets of keys to my car in a period of a month, and I have never lost keys to my car in my life, Hmm. right? I I just, and I was so hard on myself because I literally had a traumatic brain injury, and this is not the way I operate. I was forgetful. I was crying. I was angry. I was, you you know, I had risk-taking behavior, stereotypical, uh, you know, signs of a prefrontal cortex injury, which is what I had, right? All that executive function uh, is is stored in the prefrontal cortex, and that was the way I was acting, like, hey, you're, you're in a bad spot. And what they wanted to do was just a tincture of time, and I'm like, I got this. And I'm like, I'm going to go in hyperbarics and then hyperbarics didn't work alone. So I just threw everything else at it simultaneously. And, and I would offer this to your listeners. When was the last time your listeners took 28 days, 28 days for themselves to make themselves better? Because what we do is we pile everything on ourselves and we take the weight of the world. I got my job. I got my kids. I got my this. I got my that. This has got to go. Oh, I'm coaching Little League at night and I'm doing this and I got, I'm writing a paper and I'm, and I'm helping with that. And I volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club and, mm-hmm. and all this weight is on our shoulders. Do you realize that if you took 28 days and you solidified the base of all of that, you could actually do more? So... It's in your best interest to step back, take 28 days, take care of yourself, get yourself back to the point where, hey, man, I get a little bit of rejuvenation. Because none of these things that we do in this protocol, none of them are, um, are, uh, are, are going to hurt you. All of them, and none of them are going to cure you. They don't cure anything. All they do, everything that we do, helps your body to heal itself faster. That's it. 
That's all this stuff does, right? So I probably would have gotten better over time. It might have been a year. It might have been two years. But what's the, what's the peril there? Over that year or two, I still have residual self-image. Then the PTSD sets in. Then I have like bad, dark thoughts. Then I'm pushing myself down this road. And nobody understands and nobody's listening and nobody hears. Me. And before you know it, I'm 22. I'm one of the 22 cats a day that just decide that I can't live like this anymore. So yeah, if you survived it long enough, you could probably heal. I mean, at least in my case, I mean, I wasn't at the point where my traumatic brain injury was so bad that I couldn't walk. Thank God. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, initially I couldn't, but that's okay. It kind of came back right away. You know, I was unsteady on my feet, but you know, it came back right away. Um, thank God. Uh, you know, but, but I think you can heal those, those moderate traumatic brain injuries, the severe ones. Uh, we have some work to do. There may be some, you know, holes that need to be drilled in the head and other scientific stuff that needs to be done that is reasonable at that point. But I don't know the moderate to, uh, certainly the mild traumatic brain injury and the moderate traumatic brain injury can be healed. Uh, it just depends on the person, depends on what we do. And we, this is what we do. We cater the program to people on a daily, right? When somebody comes in, I don't just go here. You're just going to get the standard treatment. No, we, we work through this. I have MDs on my staff. I have PhDs on my staff. I have cognitive behavioral therapists, physical therapists. We all get together and we group group and we go, okay, how are we going to fix this cat? Okay. I noticed this. I noticed that here's the in test. When we did the intake, this happened, this happened, this happened. Okay. Where are we going to go? What do you think? Let's try this. Let's try that. I even have a peptide doctor that comes in an MD that comes in, draws blood, sees where you're a little light on whatever it is that you have. And we give you that and we start to bust up your system. You know, it's not drugs, but it's just amino acids that are going to make your body remember how to do the things that it was supposed to do. Oh yeah. I got to make that. Okay. Start doing that. Wow. So it's a, it's an amazing team of indiv individuals that you've assembled to basically make all of this stuff happen. And like you said, there's no one size fits all for any individual. So it's all done at the individual level. True story. Yeah. There's no I in this team. That is for sure. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Um, that being said, um, I want to get on to some of the stuff with Project Neptune 100, but um, I'd really like to discuss just briefly before we, we take our, our next break. Um, if you don't mind, could you tell me a little bit more about the 28-day process? If someone was interested in trying to potentially go through this process, how would they get in touch with you to do so? And then give me an idea. You know, I'm assuming that this is probably not covered under insurance. Uh, it's not vetted through the VA. And, and so what would something like this uh, cost and, and how, how is it supported financially? Right. Good, good questions all. First, first place you go to look for our program is hbotampa.com. So you go to HBO Tampa, you click on the TBI link and you see the entire program. So for any of the providers that may be out there listening, I give this away freely. I give this to you and I give you full permission to use it. Not that you need my permission. Nothing here is brand new or or earth shattering, it's just combined, right? Mm -hmm. the, the novelness comes from combining all these things at once, which nobody had ever done before. So I want you to take it. I want you to steal it. I want you to go help people. That's, that's the first bit. Um, so once somebody comes into the program, they read that, they, they're in the Tampa area because you have to be in the Tampa area to be able to come to my clinic. You can't, you know, unless you want to fly from Wisconsin to get here and stay in a hotel for 28 days, you really can't do mm -hmm. my program. You can't do it from afar. There is no distance learning here. But when you come, you come to my facility and you're there for seven hours a day. 
every day, Monday through Friday, you're there and you're working, you're putting the work in, you're doing brain tapping, uh, which is a meditation sort of a, a device that uh, helps you relax. You're doing ice baths, you're doing uh, neurofeedback therapy, you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapy, structural energetic therapy, hyperbaric oxygen therapy two times a day. Uh, you're, you, you know, you're talking with our staff, you got nutrition advice, you get sleep advice. We help pull you off all your drugs. Our MD staff helps pull you off all your drugs, even titrating you off uh, during the intake process, getting you to step down those drugs because I don't care what your problem is. You, you don't have, a, you know, a, a pain drug deficiency, so why would you be taking a pain drug? Yes, I understand you're trying to get rid of the pain, but that is, has second and third order consequences that are really bad. Matter of fact, I just had a guy that came through the program that he's uh, eight days into being treated, and he goes, hey, you know, I have this metallic taste in my mouth. What, what is that? And I'm like, aha, we need to give you a binding agent because that is the chemicals, the drugs that you've been taking. You were on 11 drugs when you came to me. You're on zero now. That is the, that drug leaching out of your bones, leaching out of your body. And we need to take a binding agent so that you get rid of that and it comes out of your body as opposed to getting back in circulation and resettling. So, this is what you got to do. You got to get yourself off the drugs because trust me, <laughs> there's, there's no happy, uh, happy way through it on drugs for the rest of your life. That's not a thing. So the overall cost of the program, usually intensive outpatient protocols, when you're somewhere for seven or eight hours a day, every day, they're about $10,000 a week. Ours are half that. Wow. So we are $5,000 a week, $20,000 total. You're basically talking about $1,000 a day to be at a facility getting treated for seven hours. So you come, you eat here, you know, you eat your lunch here, you come, you bring your lunch, we have a fridge, you know, and, and basically you set up shop and, you know, you do brain games, you know, you increase your neuroplasticity, you know, we, we, we talk to you about your health, your nutrition, where you're going, what your sleep's going to be like, how, how you sleep, and we do a diary on each person. So not only are you doing this, you're writing it down so that we can collect all this objective quality data or subjective quality data in that case and write it all down and get it all uh, on paper. So yeah, it's really cool, but did I cover it? Yeah, no, that great job. I mean, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, insurance would not cover it. It would have to be an out-of-pocket expense. Is that accurate or no? That is a true statement. That is absolutely a true statement. That's a shame, actually. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it sounds like such an amazing, an amazing process that, uh, I mean, you're, here we are living proof of someone who's gone through it, not only gone through it, but created it and, uh, you know, single-handedly can, can explain to the world that it actually works. And I'm sure with the others that have gone through it, they've seen the, the, the great effects that it could have on them. So, um, it's a shame, but hopefully. Yeah, uh, so here's the deal. And let me enlighten your listeners who probably already know this insurance is not for your health care, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a stark reality right there. Insurance is not for your health care. These are businesses. Businesses don't take losses, okay? Yes. So they are the almighty dollar backing up whatever it is that we're kind of, you know, we're insuring against like grandiose things. You get hit by a car, yeah, yeah, you gotta go to the hospital. That's, you know, that's, that's what insurance is for. It is not for your health care. 
You are responsible for your health care. You, you know, the best thing that we can do, and this killed me during COVID, what we did was we first shut down the gyms. I was like, I, I have a question. Uh, going to the gym and high, high work rates increase something called the interleukin-15, which is a powerful antiviral. Why the heck would we shut down the gyms when that is the one place that people can go to get antivirals naturally? Huh. huh? Yeah. You know, so the bottom line is you got to take care of you and, and the insurance company is not going to take care of you, but that's just Joe's opinion. Sorry, big pharma. I know you don't <laughs> like that, but I don't care. Hey, no problem. I understand. Uh, Hey, when we take, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, um, I really want to talk to you about Project Neptune 100. Um, it's a pretty amazing thing. So uh, if you're okay with it, I'm going to take a quick break. And uh, again, as soon as we come back, Dr. Joe's going to talk to us about uh, his uh, plans to go undersea for 100 days, uh, Project Neptune 100. Um, we'll be right back. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is VET Service Dogs. We provide the best quality service dogs trained specifically for each veteran. We help veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and military sexual trauma find the right service dog. Our vision is to teach each veteran and dog how to create an everlasting bond and mutual respect for each other's abilities. We all work toward a common goal of helping and healing our nation's heroes. Visit www.vetservicedogsnfp.org for more information. We're back with Dr. Joe Dottori. Uh, Dr. Joe, again, uh, thanks for sharing your story with us today. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, the next thing that you're going to be embarking on, which is our Project Neptune 100, uh, where you're planning on going 100 days undersea. Um, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, we're going to basically stay underwater longer than any other human has. And the whole time we're going to do scientific experiments and I'm the human. So I'm the guinea pig. And we're going to basically take all of this data that we've been doing on hyperbaric medicine and how it supports PTSD and how it helps with PTSD. And we're going to go underwater and get some objective quality findings. I'm taking EEGs the entire time I'm down there to see what's happening while you're under pressure. I'm, I'm drawing blood and looking at the blood while I'm underwater and then sending it to the surface and looking at that, seeing if there's differences. When I say underwater, I mean under pressure. I'll be in a chamber. So uh, there'll be plenty of food. People will be bringing down food to me. You know, the container is 13 feet by 18 feet in diameter, and it's a, uh, it's a tube, basically. And, and that's basically the living and habitat uh, portion. Uh, and I get to, you know, entertain guests and talk with great people, you know, people that are talking about preserving, protecting, rejuvenating the marine environment. Because guess what? As a, as a, as a species, we're doing a heck of a job, you know, destroying our ocean. So I think that with all the healing power, in the ocean and the pressure that we should be taking better care of it. And plus, like I told you in the beginning, everything I got in my life came from the ocean. So I'd be glad to give back to the ocean. So, you know, like I said, we're going to be interviewing people that are famous, you know, the O'Connell, uh, the O'Connell boys talk, doctors O'Connell talking about uh, sharks uh, and, you know, they're the guys from the uh, Shark Week, uh, talking with uh, noted ichthyologists, uh, noted marine scientists, 
us and you know we're gonna we're gonna get together and have a good time while we're down there and also talk science and do a ton of science on on people as they come down that's amazing how, how does something like this get started does dr joe think of this and say hey you know what i'm gonna go undersea for a hundred days uh how does uh, were you approached about this uh how, how did this come about yeah, one hundred percent not my uh, not my total idea. The idea has been around for a long period of time, uh, but not with a scientific bent. That's where I came in. I added the scientific stuff to it because the last time we did any kind of real science underwater, realistically, was in the Sea Lab days, and then maybe even in the La Chalupa days. So it's been fifty years, and maybe maybe forty some odd years since we've really done real research underwater. So it's like we have this opportunity, we have this habitat, we want to get it, we want to push, you know. So uh, I, I think that it's. Uh, that it's a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, you know, so this basically came from a, a, in 2019, a group of myself and four other friends, uh, MDs, PhDs, and, uh, and just all around good, good cats that were fellows or members of the Explorers Club. And we all said, hey, let's go live underwater and let's do some scientific experiments. So we did it as a proof of concept for uh, six days, five nights. And when we came up from that, we were like, yep, we're going to do this in 2020. And then COVID happened. Ouch. Hmm. And we pushed it a little bit, <laughs> just like everybody else, right? <laughs> wow. So you said the, the size of this chamber is 13 by 18, which obviously is not very big at all. By eight. Um, by eight. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. 13 by eight. How, how do you do, how do you exercise? I mean, how, how do you do any of the, the things that you're going to need to do to be able to stay alive? So my girlfriend's got me on yoga. So I'm going to be doing some yoga while I'm in there. Um, I will be uh, doing push-ups every morning. Uh, anybody that wants to do it, uh, I'll be doing uh, 100 push-ups every morning, squats every morning, and then sit-ups every morning or crunches every morning. Uh, and, th and that's my thing. I mean, look, I go to, go to what I call church every morning. So I go to the gym every morning, and I do that. That's just what I do. So ostensibly, my life is not going to change while I'm down there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have access to Wi-Fi. We're going to be shooting uh, TV, podcast, uh, shooting a documentary the entire time, doing science while we're down there, interviewing people. And, you know, I'm going to be reading and writing the entire time I'm down there. So I'm not going to change a whole heck of a lot, but, you know, we're going uh, to change a little. Wow. And, and where, where is this taking place at? So it'll be at Jules Verne uh, Undersea Habitat, and that is in Key Largo, Florida. Wow. And how deep will you be during this entire time? The bone-crushing depth of 22 feet of seawater. <laughs> well. So it's not very deep, but uh, it, is, it is pressure, and it's about, about uh, over one and a half times the pressure that we are currently at. It's, you know, we're, we're doing one and a half. It's 1.6 times the pressure that we're at right now, a little over that, as a matter of fact. Wow. And, and, uh, you talked about contact with the outside world. You're going to have people, when you say people come visiting, are they physically coming inside the tube with you or just coming down and being able to interact with you, uh, under the sea? Yeah. Coming inside the tube, uh, with me, uh, they'll be talking with me. We'll be, like I said, shooting videos from the inside, going for dives together, you know, going and looking, looking at ourselves from the outside, uh, uh, interviewing students, high school kids. I got a, I got a group of high school kids that's coming down that are going to win the science fair and win a chance to get down underwater to hang out and talk with me. And, you know, maybe, uh, see if I can't, uh, stimulate the youth 
of the nation to go ahead and, uh, and think about science, technology, engineering, and math, and maybe think about careers in exploration and, and careers in the underwater and marine environment, you know? Wow. Absolutely amazing. Um, and so that being said, you said you guys, so you will be able to leave the chamber. You're going to go out and do some dives and come back into the chamber, but basically you're not going to surface for, uh, what you plan to be or what you hope to be a hundred days. Is that correct? That is the truth. Wow. Absolutely amazing. And and you talked about being able to film down there. Is there any type of like webcam or anything that someone could go to, to watch this? Yeah. So you can check, uh, any of, so, so my handle, I guess, or whatever is Dr. Deep Sea, D R D E E P S E A. So that's on Instagram, uh, Facebook, I'm Joe Dottori, but, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. We'll be sending out local updates, you know, watching videos, podcasts. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Dr. Deep Sea YouTube channel, and uh, and you'll be seeing all this stuff. And it'll be out. There's a 100-day mission uh, uh, a channel. Uh, Deep, Deep Sea channel is covering us. So, uh, yeah, Deep Sea Co. Yeah, so we got a lot of uh, a lot of cool things happening. And like I said, it's not just that. We're doing some other scientific experiments, right? Where, you, you know, we, we got some uh, some biologists that are coming down and go, what, what, what happens when this happens? Hmm. Oh, yeah, let's do that, you know? So it's really kind of cool. That is. That's, that's amazing. I, I have to assume that something like this uh, costs a, a decent amount of money as it relates to uh, being able to put something like this on, um, if somebody's out there listening and they'd like to either contribute, whether it's, uh, at the individual level, at the corporate level, is there a way that they could make a donation towards us? Yes, absolutely. And yes, please, please donate because it's a couple of hundred thousand dollars to do this thing. And, uh, and you know, unfortunately it doesn't fund itself. So yes, uh, Kim at marinelab.org. K-I-M at Marine Lab, all one word, dot org. And she is the marketing person who sets up tiers of levels of, you know, if you want to come down and bring me a pizza, you, you pay to come down and bring me a quote unquote pizza. By the way, I don't eat pizza. I'm gluten free. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll have to figure that out. <laughs> wow. But, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about getting you down there, supporting the mission, sponsoring the mission and, uh, and, you know, doing the right thing and being part of, not just the world record-breaking mission, but more importantly and most importantly, the scientific endeavor. Even if I don't make it, who cares? Mm -hmm. If I can stimulate 10 kids to think about careers in science, technology, engineering, math, and, and careers underwater and, and being excited about exploring the habitat that is 70% of our world, <laughs> if we can incentivize kids to do that, hashtag winning, we're done. I, I, I could care less. They could, they could take a record and you know, put it wherever they want, but I don't need that. That's not what we're doing it for. We're doing it because we want to incentivize these kids and empower these kids. Absolutely. The next generation, it's important that we uh, pass along the information that we've been able to gather. But like you said, um, hopefully by the, a mission like this, you're going to actually be able to gather new data and new information that uh, maybe has never been uh, never been discovered before. And you can pass that along to the future that will help. Uh, again, it's, it's odd to say, but help stimulate and, and treat TBIs and PTS and all that other stuff. So it's absolutely amazing. Um, when do you plan on, on heading down? March 1st is the start date. So we go underwater March 1st. I'll be up June 10th. Wow. Well, today is Thursday, the uh, 26th of January. So it's just a, uh, just a month away. So uh, you feel like you're prepared? 
Oh yeah. I was born ready for this. I mean, like, like I'm a Navy saturation diver. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the underwater sort of a guy. Uh, I, I kinda, you know, I've kinda cultivated relationships in a way that I could still maintain them while I'm, uh, you know, while I'm deployed for, you know, 28 years of my life anyway. So I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be great. And, uh, and like I said, if we could rattle the saber and get the kids excited about the project, boy, are we doing great things. I would definitely agree with you. If you don't mind, would you share again the um, uh, the individual who is taking the donation? So that if somebody would like to uh, make a donation or contribute, uh, would you give that address again? Absolutely. It's Kim at MarineLab.org. Or you can just look up Marine Lab, and they are basically the owners of the Jules Verne Undersea uh, Lodge Habitat. Uh, you know, and, and plus it's, uh, it's in Key Largo. So it's not like it's far away. Come on down, see what's going on. You know, there's like a, there's like a, a van set up that is the NASA control panel for my undersea expedition. They're going to be setting up tours. So even if you just want to see what's going on, you'll come down, you'll get to see the video feed for me. And, and you know, it's like the Truman show. I'm going to be the guy in the fishbowl and you're going to be looking at the fishbowl the entire time for a hundred days. So That'd be great. That's amazing. Well, good luck to you. I hope that that goes well. And um, again, I certainly appreciate you talking to us today and talking about this Project Neptune 100. Uh, I wish you the best, and I hope you get uh, all the funding that you need to to make this uh, a, a great success. Um, I would love to see if you'd be interested in coming and joining another podcast after you come back up and uh, give us some of the details as to to what you discovered down there and how many of the the children you've been able to help. Uh, I think that would be great. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. I'd love that and I'd consider it an honor. So yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, we certainly appreciate it. Um, One last parting word. I know we got to run. We're we're limited on time, but that being said, um, as a whole, you know that this show really tries to talk to its listeners, uh, both our veterans, our veterans' family members, and just the you know general population about post-traumatic stress um, and about the healing process and, and how there's no one-size-fits-all uh, healing for, for PTS. Um, what would you like to say to any, any veteran that, that's out there that's listening that might be inspired by your story or any family member that might be inspired by your story? As it relates to PTS, uh, what are some of the parting words that you'd like to leave them with? So I want you guys to take a step back and, and look at what you were before you went into the military and what you learned while you were in the military and realize that you can make yourself whole. We can help you make yourself whole. Mind you, note the way I'm saying that. I'm not saying we can fix you. I'm saying we can help you to get better. And you got to be willing to help yourself. You're worth it. You're worth being able to get uh, to put the time into to get better. And we can do it here. We have the technology. We have the skill. We have the science. And we have the people that really care. There are people that care about you guys. Um, like when I first went in the military uh, in 85, it was not the nicest place to be, right? They were like, hey, don't travel on airplanes in your uniform because the public really doesn't like military people. And now... We're thanking military vets mm-hmm. every day for their service, right? So it's a stark contrast, you know, 30 years later. It's uh, 30, almost a lot of years later. Uh, it, it, it's a stark contrast, right? So 
with that change, I need you guys to look at your problems, look at your issues and seek the help. We're here. We're here for you. And, and trust me, people want to hear from you as opposed to go to your funeral. So please step up, come get help. I don't care where you go. Call me in the middle of the night. I don't care. It's not like I got anywhere to be. I'll be in the habitat. You can, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll definitely work with you. You know, we'll work, uh, we'll work it through. But yeah, this PTS thing is, uh, is really plaguing us and we need to, we need to fix it for sure. That's the bottom line. Amen to that, Dr. Tori. And again, thank you for all you do, for all the research you've done, for all the advancements you've made as it relates to PTS and, and bringing all these different modalities of healing together to to form something that's really revolutionary. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And so I can't say thank you enough uh, for, for the work that you've done. And, and thank you again for being on this show, sharing with the listeners everything that you've accomplished. And then um, we really look forward to uh, hearing all the accomplishments that you've, or all the advancements that you've made once you, you come back up. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to that too. I think it'll be a good time. And, and like I said, it's, uh, it's applying pressure to the injuries that we already have and treating people from a physical, physiological, and psychological standpoint simultaneously, that's what we need to cure people. So let's just, let's just all think about doing that. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to having you uh, back on the show in, in a several, several months uh, once you come back up and, uh, and learning about all the, the different things that you've been able to figure out while you were down there. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you to your listeners for listening in. I appreciate the time. And if it wasn't for people like you, this project and these people and my research wouldn't be out there and people wouldn't know about it because I'm no marketer. I'm just the, I'm just the brain guy, the brain cognitive concierge. I'm trying to help. <laughs> well, amen to that. And uh, thank you again. Uh, I'm going to close the show real quick, but uh, we look forward to talking to Dr. Detoury again uh, in the near future. And uh, life's a journey. Uh, sometimes it can be a struggle, but there's always something or someone out there that wants to help you. Uh, Post-traumatic stress is a silent killer, but there are ways of healing. Um, if you'd like more information about today's podcast, please visit our website at operationhealingheroes.org. Um, I, I really appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to this show. I hope that everyone gets something out of it. And uh, until next week when we feature another veteran, uh, we're going to close with uh, our nonprofit of the week and some of our sponsors. And I look forward to talking to you next week. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is VET Service Dogs. We provide the best quality service dogs trained specifically for each veteran. We help veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and military sexual trauma find the right service dog. Our vision is to teach each veteran and dog how to create an everlasting bond and mutual respect for each other's abilities. We all work toward a common goal of helping and healing our nation's heroes. Visit www.vetservicedogsnfp.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com.